It's great to welcome you. My name's um, John T. If we haven't met personally, hello. Nice to see you. We're going to look at the Bible together. We do this every Sunday. It's our great joy to open God's Word and to hear His voice in His Bible. Um, We're starting a new series in the book of Acts. Um, If you've been around at Globe, we tend to take a book of the Bible and work our way through it, or a part of the Bible and work our way through it. Normally, we do that fairly slowly um, because we want to really dig into all the goodness that's there. But sometimes it's helpful to go quite a lot faster. And that's what we're going to do with Acts. We're going to do the whole of Acts over the next four four Sundays um, and try and get a feel for how the whole thing vaguely works. Um, and, And it's helpful just to sometimes look at God's Word in different ways to understand Um, what he's saying to us. So we're going to pray that God would help us, and then we're going to um, have a crack at the first few chapters of Acts together. But let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that you are a glorious, powerful, mighty God who uses your power to do good. Father, thank you for that reminder already this afternoon. And we ask now that as we look at your word, we'd see more of that goodness, more of that power. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Great, so please turn to um, Acts chapter 1, page 1092. Uh, We're not going to read all of chapters 1 to 6 now. I'm going to read little bits as we go. But I'm going to read verses 1 to 8. It seems sensible that we get a feel for how this book goes. Uh, Many of us will be familiar with the story of Jesus that He lived, and then he died on a cross, then he rose again. And then it tends to go a bit hazy in some people's thinking. I'm not quite sure what happened to Jesus after that. That seems to be the main things that happened. I'm not sure what happened after that. Well, that's what Acts is about. So he says, in my former book, Theophilus, which is interesting, because that immediately tells you that this is a letter written to someone specific, not just abstract history. This is for people to read so they can know something And this is the second book. The first book is the book of Luke. And we know that because it starts to Theophilus. (laughs) To Theophilus. Uh, Sorry. Um, And so this is the second bit of Luke's gospel. So in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That's interesting. We're going to speed up. That's interesting. (laughs) Because it means that Luke's gospel was all that Jesus did and taught. That makes sense. But you notice, Luke says that that was just what he began to do and teach, which suggests that the book of Acts is going to be the continuing, ongoing work of Jesus. Okay, verse 2. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he'd chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Jesus was very sure he wanted his disciples to know that he really was alive. So he spent 40 days convincing them, giving them proof so they would be sure. Verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
I don't think they've got a clue what that means at this point. But verse 6, they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, are you now going to put everything right? They know the Bible. They know the Old Testament. They know that God has promised that one day someone would come, a Messiah would come who would put everything right, fix all the evil, give the kingdom back to Israel so that everything was right, get rid of all the enemies and put everything right. Is that now Jesus? Okay, we get it. You had to die on a cross and rise again, but now we're going to get... Is this the end of the story? Verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus says to them, don't worry about the times and dates. You have a job to do. That's what the book of Acts is all about. Now, this is going to be important. Let me tell you why I'm excited about studying this and why I think as a church we really need this today in London. Because it seems to me that we are constantly being shaped and changed by the trends of culture all around us. So the word trend... It's an interesting word. And we talk about things that are trending. So on Friday night, Stormzy was trending because he was playing at Glastonbury, for those who aren't culturally aware. (laughs) Stormzy was performing, and he was trending on social media. I'm not sure when trending became a verb. When I was a kid, we never talked like that. Something was trendy, I I believe, (laughs) I, I, I hear something was trendy. It was an adjective. It describes something, but suddenly it's become it's trending. Stormzy is trending. Now, what do we mean by trending? What we mean is something that is of huge interest in that moment, but will pass by. That's how trends work. They come and then they go, and we all move on to the next thing. A trend starts, everyone gets excited, this is the most important thing in the world. Oh, something new. And these trends blow us around. And this is how trends work in school. Surely you remember primary school, right? The trends that were around in primary school. How many of you had a yo-yo trend at primary school, right? Some of you had, even Trevor. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah, I was going to say, that was when they were first invented. And... uh, (laughs) The, um, but, but the trend, in that moment, for some unexplained reason, yo-yos became the most important thing in the world. And suddenly yo-yo makers were like, man, we need to make a lot more of these things. And then suddenly it moves on. A couple of years ago, loom bands. right? Loom bands were these little plastic rubber bands that you could make bracelets with. And you could not buy them anywhere because they sold out like in a flash. So people started making millions of them and then the trend moved on and everyone's going, what are we going to do with all these loom bands? (laughs) But in the moment, they seem like the most important. If you are a parent of a small child, in that moment, finding loom bands, then nothing matters more. But then it moves on. Cultural trends move on all the time. 
ways of understanding this world. There are things that shift. But you know what? In the moment, they feel self-evidently true and absolutely right. The things that at this particular moment our our culture says, this is true, it feels unarguable. Of course it's true. But it will be gone. And a new trend will come along. You see, this is how culture works. And the problem for us as a church is that we get shifted around with that. You know when you're sitting on a tube train? I'm going to slightly mess up all your tube journeys you ever have in the future, just for a moment. When you sit on a tube train, one of the things I love on tube trains is on the really old rickety ones where you get thrown around a lot, is that everybody moves at the same moment. It's re- if you stop and watch, it's really funny. Everybody's kind of bobbing and everybody's head is doing exactly the same thing. You just can't, you can't stop it. And when you notice it, it's really funny. And everyone just looks really weird because they're all doing the same thing, just like bobbing around. And if you try and move the other direction, it's really hard. But it's quite fun. You try and go the opposite way to everyone else's bob. You try and buck the trend. You see, that's the problem. Being the church is that. It's like being in a tube where everyone's just going along and, yeah, well, of course this is true. Yeah, this is right. This is right. And we need to have enough backbone and understanding and confidence that says, no, this is what's right. That's why the book of Acts really matters to us. Because we need to understand that what we're involved in is not a trend. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is not trending. It's advancing. That is a fundamentally different thing. And for us to understand that, that's what we're going to see. And so the book of Acts, I'm praying, will create two things within us. One is it that it will create confidence, and secondly, that there'll be clarity. Let me just quickly show you confidence, and then we're going to spend a bit more time on clarity. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that we just read, there is a relentless power that is promised. The power of the Holy Spirit will come on these friends of Jesus, and they will be his witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, that's what's going to happen. Not, hey, guys, listen, I've got this plan. I wonder if you could help me work, work it out. I'd love to see if we could get this gospel thing. Could we get like a million shares? Could we get it around the world? Could we get it spread all over the place? Could we try that? Now, Jesus says, no, this is what is going to happen. The gospel is going to be preached in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you just go back to the end of Luke, you see exactly the same thing. Uh, Page 1062. So uh, Luke 24, page 1062, verse 45. Then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay 
in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Here's the plan. It's an unstoppable plan. This is what God has decreed. The gospel, the message of forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus will go from Jerusalem to the very ends of the earth. How is that possible? Well, because the power is going to be from the Spirit of God, not human power. And that's what you see through the pages of Acts. There is just a power that cannot be stopped. No matter what obstacles are put in the way, the Word of God just continues to spread. Right. Um, If you're beginning to feel a little bit sleepy, because it is warm, I know it's warm, it's not as hot as yesterday, um, follow with me. I'm going to shout out some verses in Acts when you see the trace the story through. Okay, We're trying to get an overview, remember? Right, go to Acts chapter 6, verse 7. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God... What? Spread. Let's do that again. The word of God... Spread. spread. Right, go to 8, chapter 4. Those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. 12, 24. But the word of God continued to spread... And to flourish. I wish I had time to tell you a story that came before that of, Her- of um, Herod who tried to stop the gospel but he'd end up being eaten by worms and the gospel spreads. 1349. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. 1920. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Here is what is driving through the book of Acts. The word of God spreads. The word of the Lord spreads. It spreads. It keeps going. And no matter what tries to stop it, no matter who tries to throw the leaders in jail, no matter who tries to kill or stop or throw or whatever they try to do, they just can't be stopped. Oh, church, if we could only see, there is a power in this message of Jesus that should give us such confidence because it can't be stopped. And if you go to Acts 5, there is a fantastic little summary of this. Acts 5, 38 to 39. Here's, here are some leaders, right? They're trying to work out what to do. What do we do? I mean, this gospel thing, it's, just, it's still in Jerusalem at the moment. It's just getting out of control. Listen to what one of them says. He's not a Christian. Look what he says, verse 38. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But... If it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. That's the issue in the book of Acts. This message of Jesus is what God is doing in the world. And therefore to stop, to resist this, is to resist God. To refuse this message is to refuse God. To fight against this message is to fight against God. You see? 
There is a power. And the very fact that we're sitting here in this room and the gospel has reached this land, according to Acts chapter 5, verse 38, is proof that this is not of human origin. Now, the gospel is not trending. The gospel is advancing. There is an absolute certainty that the gospel will be preached to all nations. Now, I reckon if we were part of the early church and Nero was the emperor of the Roman Empire, this would matter to us. Because when Nero was the emperor of Rome, all the power seemed to be located in Rome. The might of Rome, the might of the emperor, who would simply take Christians and burn them at his birthday parties for fun. No, no, the power seems to be there. The book of Acts says, no, no, the power is in the word. The word will continue to advance and spread. And even if they kill, even if they kill Christians, they cannot stop the word. In fact, we're going to see over and over again, it's the thing that spreads the word. Suffering is not an obstacle. It is part of the gospel going out. We'll see more of that next time. But if we were part of the church in China when communism threatened to stamp out the church completely, we'd need to know that the gospel is not of human origin. It is what God is doing and it is filled with the power of God and it cannot be stopped and it will go to the ends of the earth. If we were the church in Cambodia under the Khmer Rouge, we would need to know that the gospel cannot be stopped. And as the church here in London, where the, where the culture finds the gospel to be utterly untrendy, where the gospel is so offensive and constantly and will increasingly crash into what the culture says, we need to be convinced that this word has power and this word is the word that cannot be stopped. Confidence. I wonder, do you see what you're involved in? Do you see what you're part of? But I want us to turn now to think about clarity. Because when we talk about the word of God spread, what do we mean? Is that like, I thought the Bible was the word, does that mean the Bible spread? What does it mean, the word of God spread? What is it that was spreading? Well, what was spreading was the name of Jesus. In the book of Acts, the word spreads as Jesus is preached, as the name of Jesus is declared. Back in Luke 24, do you remember Jesus said, forgiveness will be preached in his name. Jesus says, you're going to go be my witnesses. The Spirit will come on you and fulfill you to be my witnesses. We need to be crystal clear that what is being spread through this world is not some philosophy, not some theory, not some nice ideas, not some religion, but is the name of Jesus. It is him and who he is and all he's done. Acts chapter 4 verse 12, one of the most famous verses in Acts. This is the last one we're going to jump to, then I'm going to take a longer look at one little bit. Here it is, the early friends of Jesus, the apostles, were so crystal clear. 
When they healed a lame beggar back in chapter 3, they said, it's not us, it's done in the name of Jesus. All the power's in his name. There is no other name. So Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no other name. It is the name of Jesus. You declare the name of Jesus. You announce that Jesus is the name in which salvation can be found. And so what I want us to do now is zoom in um, on Acts chapter 2 and just watch Peter declare Jesus. Let's get a taste of what that might have looked like and actually learn from this so we can be clear, so we're not fuzzy about what we're trying to do. The church's mission was crystal clear. You've got to make my name known, Jesus says. So Acts chapter 1 starts with this promise that the Spirit will come. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes. That's what we call Pentecost. The disciples are filled with the Spirit and they start to speak in all sorts of different languages. And everyone's like, whoa, what's going on? They, some people think they're drunk. Peter stands up and says, no, we're not drunk. It's only 9 in the morning. Verse 16 No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. (laughs) Right? Peter goes, let me explain what's happening. Joel, who lived hundreds of years earlier, wrote about this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So here's Joel. He lives a long time before Jesus. He's looking ahead and he says, there's a day coming, the last days. And those are going to be great days because the spirit of God is going to be poured out. God is going, the Spirit will empower all of God's people. So look, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my Spirit in those days and they will prophesy. The Spirit of God is going to be poured out so that all of God's people can speak, can prophesy, can speak God's word. What is that word? It's the name of Jesus. So that all of God's people can be those who declare this name. They're going to be difficult days. Verse 19, Joel talks about wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. He, he talks of hard days, days of war and sorrow and pain. That's what those symbols mean. Before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. That's the final day when the Messiah comes to put everything right. That's what the disciples were talking about in chapter 1. So you have Joel saying the Spirit's going to be poured out. There's the last days and then the final day will come. We're getting this? I know it's warm. And in this middle bit, what did Joel say was true? He said this, everyone who calls on what? The name. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter says, now let me tell you his name. This man, Jesus, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you. Here's the one. So be crystal clear. If you want to know what God is about, he is about making known this name and you call on this name. This is the one. Now, we haven't got time to go through this in huge detail. I'm going to whistle-stop tour through what Peter now says about Jesus. But I want to notice, I want you to notice one thing very clear. Peter is not a salesman. 
He's not starting, he's not trying to start a trend. You know how salesmen work? Right? Salesmen, when, when, I, was, when I was young, I don't know why, but my mum and dad had this bloke come around to our house to try and sell us a hoover. It was one of the weirdest nights of my life. <laughs> he, he bought this hoover around. I, I, can't, I still don't know why. I should ask my mum. I don't know why he came, but he came with this hoover. It was, and it was a very impressive hoover. It's called a Kirby hoover. And he bought all these attachments. He bought it into our lounge, and he started... And obviously my mum had hoovered before he came, because that's what you do, isn't it, when someone's coming? But he came and he demonstrated to us the power of his hoover. And uh, he you know, hoovered our carpet, which was already hoovered, we thought, but so much dust came off it. And then he hoovered a mattress and he told us about all the dead skin that was being hoovered into this thing. And he was a salesman trying, this is what's in it for you, this, this is what's for you, look at all this. Think how different your life could be, your life could be so dust-free. My dad kept saying, how much is it? He said, I'll tell you later. It was two thousand pounds. Right? We're like, well, no, we're not. No, <laughs> we don't hate dead skin that much. <laughs> anyway, salesmen are constantly saying, "This is what's in it for you." Can I show you very clearly? Peter is not a salesman. In fact, you don't find any of the preaching in Acts that is salesman, where we say, hey, you should follow Jesus because he'll forgive your sin and he'll make you happy and he'll give you what you want and he'll take all your problems away and he'll make you happy. Or even, you should follow Jesus because he'll give you a place in heaven. No, what Peter does is he says, this is who Jesus is. He announces the identity of Jesus and says, you need to follow him. He's king you need to worship him. That's how they preached. That's the clarity with which Peter speaks. Let me just show you what I mean. You'll see that Peter is simply trying to prove that Jesus is who he said he was. First, he talks about his life in verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Jesus, in his life, his miracles, God was saying, this one, this one, this one, look at him. He's doing signs and wonders. He's doing signs and wonders. Now look, I know that people still claim that miracles today, and I I don't want to get into all of that. No one claims anywhere near what Jesus did. Jesus is off the chart in terms of the power that he had. To stand in a boat, speak a word, and everything goes still. To feed 5,000, to open the eyes of the blind, to raise the dead, On several occasions. This is God saying, here he is, here he is, this one, this one, accredited by God. God is at work through Jesus saying, this is the one, this is the name. Jesus lived and he lived a spectacular life so that you could know who he is. Then he died, verse 33. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. He died. But you notice what Peter says? He died according to God's set purpose and foreknowledge. It was God's plan that Jesus was going to die. Yes, you killed him, but God planned it. It was God's plan to save. Because Jesus in his death on the cross did what was necessary to save people like 
us. Jesus, when he died on the cross, paid the price that my sin deserves. He paid the penalty so that I could have forgiveness in his name. My sin forgiven because of his death. That was God's plan. So Peter says, he lived, he died, but now look. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead. Because freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I love that phrase. Up until this point, death had a really good track record. Up until this point, death always won. 100% every time, death wins, death wins, death wins. Got you, got you, got you. But suddenly, one comes along who enters into battle with death. And death's like, whoa, this one's a regular. This one's tough. Struggling to keep hold of this one. And death, for the first time in all of eternity, feels a panic that says, this one's going to win. This one's going to escape. There's something about this one that's unlike any other before. Every other one I've held on to. But this one, I can't. He's too strong. And Jesus smashes his way out of the grip of death. Isn't that good? Man, we should be excited about this, but it's too warm, I know. Sometimes, oh, it would be fun if we were a Pentecostal church. But we're not at the moment. So, it's good, right? Jesus rose. He smashed out of the... This is God saying, I proved it in his life. I proved it in his death. I proved it in his resurrection over and over again. Here he is. This is the one. And then Peter says, by the way, this is what David in the Old Testament said. Um, He quotes David. "Um, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. I love what Peter says next. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently, the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. So he clearly wasn't talking about himself because he decayed. But he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Can you imagine being in the crowd that day? Crowd, I don't know how many people, 8,000 people perhaps, listening to Peter preach. Can you imagine it? filled with the Spirit of God, declaring the resurrection of Jesus. We saw it. We're the witnesses. We know this is true. Jesus is the Messiah that David spoke of. Jesus is the one who's defeated death. He's that powerful. He rose. And even that isn't the end. Because verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. You know, after Jesus lived, God says, here's the miracles. Jesus died. God says, that was the plan. Jesus rose. God says, yeah, he's the Messiah. Then Jesus returned to heaven. Do you know, that wasn't him just going home. Oh, I finished. Oh, time to go home. When Jesus ascended into heaven, it was his royal procession. It was his ascending to the throne. 
It was Jesus being given glory and honor. Jesus is exalted to the right hand of God. He's in the highest place. And how do we know that? Well, because God the Father gave him the Spirit and said, now pour the Spirit out. And Peter says, and that's what you see today. Again, David gets a little bit of a bashing. David did not ascend. David, yes, you decayed and you did not ascend to heaven. (laughs) But David did say, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Where is Jesus? Right now, he sat at the right hand of God waiting for the enemies to be made his footstool. Right, this is the sermon, right? He lived, he died, he rose, he reigns. That's it. That's Jesus. And Peter finishes with this staggering sentence. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. End of sermon. Peter does not say, now, for the next six weeks, we're going to run a Christianity Explored course. If you'd like to join us, you'd be really welcome to bring your questions and ask any more thoughts. Peter doesn't say, hey, look, why don't you follow Jesus? He could help you. Why don't you invite Jesus into your heart? Peter says, Jesus is king. He's Lord and Messiah. He is God and king. And you crucified him. This is powerful. What if Jesus is who Peter said he is and we lived our lives ignoring him? Not everybody in that crowd was there. Not everyone in that crowd crucified Jesus. But Peter says they did (laughs) because they'd lived against him. And the result is that they were cut to the heart. And they say to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? They don't say, well, let's have a little think about this. Should we accept the invitation? They're cut to the heart because Peter has declared to them that Jesus is king. And Peter then, beautiful offer, repent and be baptized. Turn to him. Don't ignore him. Turn to him. Worship him, love him, adore him, trust him. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name. This is the name. This is the name. The one who lived, died, rose and reigns. It's that name. And he's there so that you can have forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's the clarity that Peter wants us to have as we go on this journey through Acts The name that spreads throughout the world is the name of Jesus. It's not the name of Globe Church. It's not the name of a preacher. It's not the name of anyone. It's his name. His name alone is the name that saves. Because only he lived, died, rose, and reigned. And as a church, if we are going to be useful to God, we need the same confidence and the same clarity. Now, let me say, I'm not saying that this means we shouldn't have Christianity explore courses or invite people to ask their questions, of course. But there is a place for saying, look, he's king. And whether you worship him or not, he's still king. 
He does not need your approval. But you do need to repent. And a clarity that says Jesus is this important. He is this central to everything. That's what you find again and again through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 3, they heal someone. They go, everyone goes, wow, Peter, you're amazing. No, we're not. It's the name of Jesus. Chapter 4, they chuck Peter and John in prison. They say, don't speak in this name anymore. What the? F- we're going to obey you or God? They fill Jerusalem with the name of Jesus. It's freaking out all the... They, they say, now what are we going to do? They give them a flogging. Peter and John rejoice to be wor- counted worthy of suffering disgrace for this name. It's such a good name. You flog us? <laughs> It's a good name. And all the way through Acts chapters 1 to 6, we're still in Jerusalem, and the name of Jesus fills Jerusalem. And next week we'll see how it bubbles out and pushes out and begins to fill the earth. So I want to say to you here, if you're not a Christian, if you don't know the name of Jesus, I want you to be under no doubt at all that Jesus is King. He lived, he died, he rose, he reigns. He is king. God has given you all the evidence you need. He has made it absolutely plain. And he commands you today to repent, to turn to Jesus and say, I want you to be my king. And when you turn to Jesus, he will forgive your sin, whatever you've done. But like Peter pleaded with them on the day of Pentecost, I would plead with you, save yourself from this ridiculous culture with all its trends that come and go, that thinks this is the most, oh, this is, oh, this is nice. Jesus is king forever. And if you resist him, you will find yourself fighting against God. Don't go there. Turn to Jesus. And if you are a Christian, I want you to see what you're involved in. I want you to see the power that there is in this message. I want you to have confidence. As you go into the workplace tomorrow, you may feel so small and it may be untrendy, but you go into the workplace tomorrow and say, this gospel is powerful. This name is good. And I'm going to live for this name. Why don't we bow our heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we... We thank you for this book of Acts. And Lord, we confess that we can often be like the people sitting on a tube train that we just get bounced around with all the latest trends, the latest things that come along. Father, we ask that you'd give us a deeper confidence that this gospel, this message, is the power of God to save. That this name of Jesus is the name above all names. Father, we ask that we might have confidence and that we might be clear that our task is to make this name known and to declare to this world that Jesus is King and that people must turn to him. Father, thank you that Jesus lived, died, rose and reigns. And all of that means that we can know him and know forgiveness in his name. Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.